Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning and that we have your word. That we have your word is a gift of grace. It's light to us. We pray that your light would shine today, that your word would uh, penetrate our our lives, that the uh, enemy would be cast off and our wandering um, minds and desires would be um, illuminated and we would see Christ. We pray that this would be your work in our midst by your word and spirit for our salvation and for our transformation, all for your great glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, this morning, uh, if you haven't turned there already, I hope that you would be in 2 Corinthians with us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 is where we are. And um, we're continuing a sermon series together in 2 Corinthians. Uh, we're in, I believe, our sixth week or so uh, as we're working through this letter together. And we've seen a number of things along the way, but really this morning's passage is a, a bit of a, a hinge for us, it's a it's a an essential climactic moment in the text. Here's where we've gone so far. The Apostle Paul, he is one of he is the one who originally preached the gospel in Corinth, and he planted the church there in that city. He spent 18 months of ministry in Corinth before moving on to establish the gospel in other cities and to encourage other cities in their faith in the churches that he finds there or establishes there. In the meantime, as he's traveling about, he has uh, continues a correspondence with the church at Corinth, and that correspondence has at times been very difficult. It turns out that along the way, some false teachers had made their way into the church. Some uh, foolish, vain, and sinful practices had made their way into the church. And many of these things had challenged the ministry of Paul, and they had caused division within the church in Corinth. So Paul has already begun to explain the nature of his ministry among the Corinthians in order to defend himself and the gospel that he preached. And this is what brings us now to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at it with me. It begins with these words, Therefore, having this ministry by the grace of God, we do not lose heart. Having this ministry. Last week in chapter 3, we saw Paul arguing for the authenticity of his ministry in Corinth. That is, he was arguing that he was sent by God to bear witness to the glory of God that's found in the gospel of God. The gospel has removed the veil, he says. The gospel has removed the veil that hinders our ability to see the glory of God, which is the great goal and hope of salvation, to see God in his glory. And so therefore, Paul says he is very bold in proclaiming freedom and transformation by the Holy Spirit. Now, when we come to this passage, it says, therefore, having this ministry. Well, what is this ministry? 
Well, so far, he's told us a few things about it. This ministry is a ministry with simplicity and godly sincerity. He tells us that in chapter 1. He tells us that it's not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God. It's also, he tells us, it's undertaken through much suffering. And we see that argument being played out throughout the book. He also tells us that this ministry is a ministry that is commended by God through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. How do you, how can you be confident that the ministry of the gospel is actually the ministry of God's grace? Well, if God works in the midst of that gospel by means of the Holy Spirit to transform the human heart, if we love God, it is because God's gospel has worked in us and His Spirit has, has worked that reality in the midst of the believer. So in today's passage, Paul holds up the glory, light, and power of the gospel. And so the glory, light, and power of this ministry. That's today's passage, holding up glory, light, and power. But in next week's passage, beginning in verse 7, he explains how such a glorious and powerful ministry must be undertaken by a weak, suffering people, people like Paul and those who are with him. So today's emphasis is on the power and light of the ministry, even as he's about to transition into, how is it that such a grand, powerful, glorious, light-giving ministry, like the ministry of the gospel, can be undertaken by a people who are weak and suffering? Again, the passage begins, therefore we have this ministry, that is the simplicity and suffering and glory of this ministry. All of it, all of this we have. And he is about to explain how this ministry of the gospel makes sense. It can only make sense as a complex mixture of suffering and glory, a complex mixture of weakness and power. Well, we can already remember that this is so because this ministry is about a Savior whose glorious victory came in the form of being lifted up on a cross to die in the place of sinners for the forgiveness of their sin. We have suffering and glory at the very heart, the crooks, literally the cross of our salvation, suffering and glory, weakness and power. We, therefore, having this ministry, he continues saying, we have this ministry by the mercy of God. So it is God's kindness that gives the minister of the gospel the privilege of this simple, suffering, glorious ministry. Those words almost don't even make sense in the same sentence. Like, are you really supposed to put those sort of adjectives all together in front of a noun? Yes, simple, suffering, glorious ministry by the grace of God. Now, as we'll see in our passage this morning, this ministry belongs to God. And so it is by his mercy that he gives us to share with those who have not yet heard and not yet believed the gospel. The ministry belongs to God. It is therefore then by his mercy that he gives it to us to be servants of his gospel to share with others. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, 
we do not lose heart. Now, we must remember that the ministry of the gospel is a blessing from God. That's what he's calling to mind. Therefore, we have this ministry by the mercy of God, so we don't lose heart, especially because this ministry of the gospel can be so very difficult at times. Why would he say we don't lose heart? Why is he making the argument why they would continue to be bold and confident in gospel proclamation if it wasn't so that there was reason to lose heart? There was cause to lose heart, that there was a a, a pressure upon the ministers of the gospel to lose heart. Paul has been given the gift of making the name of Jesus known in Corinth, and it's hard. And Jesus, as we've seen in our previous passage, Jesus is parading Paul from city to city, not to show how cool Paul is, not to put Paul on display, not to give Paul a wonderful worldwide journey and vacation. No, he's parading him from city to city that in Paul's weakness, the gospel of Jesus would shine like the light that it is. It's hard, Paul is telling them. This ministry, though, as hard and suffering as it is, as much as it reveals the weaknesses of the minister of the gospel, it is by the mercy of God that we have this ministry. Therefore, we do not lose hope. The ministry is a gift from a merciful God, even though it comes with hardship and heartbreak that often accompanies such a gift. Brothers and sisters, this morning we have to remember two things. The gospel itself is by the mercy of God. The gospel itself, not just gospel ministry, the gospel itself is the mercy of God, a gift of grace to a people who are undeserving. Let's remember that. Let's begin there. And then the ministry of the gospel is by the mercy of God to make that grace known through us to a people who are lost in darkness apart from the light of the gospel. The gospel is the mercy of God. And the ministry of that gospel that we have been given is the mercy of God to us. Now, this is this ministry. He's given us a lot of information about the nature of this ministry. Now I want to go to verses 2 and 3, and what we're going to see is the method of the ministry. How does the minister of the God who has received this ministry by the mercy of God, not losing hope, how does the minister go about gospel ministry? Well, he begins in verse 2, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. It would become, it would be so easy in the midst of the ministry of the gospel to become disillusioned. You remember that Paul planted the church in Corinth, and yet they very quickly allowed false teachers in there, and they began to bicker with one another, began to divide. When he had preached a gospel that unites all people in Christ, they began to divide themselves, even arguing against about whose leader they really followed, and bickering among themselves and running off after foolish, vain desires, it would, become, it would be so easy to become disillusioned, so easy to begin to think that in the midst of suffering, that ministry is a curse, not a blessing. 
It would be so easy. So easy to begin to think that when ministry puts our weaknesses on display, we should compensate with just a bit of underhandedness. Just a little bit of compensation to perhaps make the ministry more effective, a little easier to go about. If people don't believe on account of a simple and sincere declaration of the truth, perhaps they will believe if I dress it up just a little, if I put on a bit of a show, or if we badmouth other lesser, weaker supposed ministers in order to show that we are better than them, and so our message is better than theirs, and we begin a ministry not of the gospel, but a ministry of the comparison of gospel ministers and gospel ministries. When we don't believe that this ministry, with all its simplicity, suffering, and glory, is a gift of the mercy of God, just as it is, we will be prone to dress it up a little in ways that are less than sincere, even, as the passage says, disgraceful and underhanded. He says, as we continue, not only have we renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways in verse 2, we refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. When we feel like ministry belongs to us, we will feel the freedom to make the ministry work for our benefit. Hear that? When we believe that it is our ministry, not the ministry of the gospel by the mercy of God, but our ministry, we will begin to think that we can work with cunning and tampering to make that gospel work to our advantage or to change or tamper with the proclamation according to what we think might make it work better. But the ministry belongs to God. If this ministry is given to us by his mercy, we must not think ourselves cunning such that we would tamper with any element of the truth that's been given to us. It's been given to us. To change it makes it not something that came from God, but it makes it our ministry, our ideas, our thoughts, our grace, our mercy, as if our grace or mercy could accomplish anything, as if we have any light to give of ourselves. That's why he says we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. I just don't think Paul could be any clearer to us about the nature of the ministry of the gospel here. It is compellingly clear. It's worth an underline and a highlight and a star beside it in your Bibles, you know? The ministry of the gospel is at its core an open statement of the truth. Sincere, simple, open statement of the truth. Our hope is that the open statement of the truth of the gospel will be met with a heart prepared by the Holy Spirit so that the result is salvation for the conscience that receives the gospel with faith. Open statement makes miraculous work of the Spirit becomes salvation for the lost. Now, Imagine another scenario rather than the open statement. Imagine we tamper with the gospel just a little. Imagine we dress it up 
Imagine we de-emphasize some of the parts that might not be pleasant to hear in any particular cultural moment. And if this tampering strategy works, and the person is more likely to receive the ministry, what is received is something other than the gospel. Do you hear that? If it works, if we manage to get people to believe because of our tampering and our cunning and the preaching of something that is not the gospel, what it was received is insufficient to save. That's not ministry success, friends. That's the essence of what it means to be a false teacher and a ministry failure. Successful false gospel preaching. Now note, Paul is clear to understand that this ministry is at the end of that little section, is in the sight of God. He's watching. He's watching the ministry of the gospel. He's watching your and my gospel proclamation. He's watching Paul as he proclaims to the Corinthians and from city to city. He's watching in the sight of God. I want to get caught preaching God's word openly, clearly, and plainly in the sight of God. I do not want to get caught in the sight of God dressing up God's word or tampering with it in any way just to fit my idea of ministry success. Because what we do when we proclaim the gospel to one another is in the sight of God. This ministry is by the mercy of God, not by cunning or tampering. Do you see it? The ministry isn't just our gift by the mercy of God. The ministry itself is undertaken by the mercy of God, not by cunning or tampering. And so it must be by an open statement, clear and unadulterated, of the truth of God, not me. And certainly not the world's conventional wisdoms. Look at verse 3 with me. And even if our gospel is veiled, even as we we make that open statement of the truth, right? And yet, it it has no penetrating effect into any human heart. Even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Paul's desire is that the gospel would compel the conscience to faith and belief. This is clearly his desire. This is the end of his labor, a great hope for faith and belief, a receipt of the open statement of the gospel by the human heart. But he understands that for many, it is as though they can't even hear the words of the gospel even when it's clearly proclaimed openly with sincerity and simplicity, it still doesn't penetrate the ears and into the heart to commend itself to the conscience. For those for whom the gospel is veiled in that way, it is clear it is veiled to the perishing. Now, that can be a very difficult pill to swallow for the minister of the gospel. The the fact that some ministers of the gospel fail to believe that sentence, fail to swallow the reality of that pill, is often this desire that everyone would believe becomes cunning and manipulation to make everyone believe and to make our preaching palatable 
or work around sin to let it remain as long as you believe this set of cunningly crafted, personally created for you and your unique sin and idolatrous makeup so that you, sinner, can believe and remain in your sin. A failure to believe that if the gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, is often a catalyst to much cunning and false teaching. When the person you're investing in will not believe, you may begin to wonder if there's something wrong with either the message or the messenger. But Paul is clear that the message is by the mercy of God, and the messenger must be faithful in the sight of God. And yet there are still so many who simply do not believe and will persist on the way that is perishing. I would commend to you at this point a wonderful book that if I were transparent with you, I would confess I'm still in the process of reading. But if you haven't read it before, you should read The Pilgrim's Progress. Read it with me. Tell me how it's going for you. The Pilgrim, on his journey to the Eternal City, meets many who refuse to lay down their burden at the foot of the cross, follow in the narrow way, but instead persist in dwelling in the city of destruction. That's the image that is in that verse for us to hear and believe. The application for us is this. The ministry of the gospel, by the mercy of God, must be by the open statement of the truth. If the ministry of the gospel is by the mercy of God, our strategy must remain always the open statement of the truth. How can we get them to hear? By repeating again and praying that the Lord would lift the veil. A number of years ago, I wrote down my personal strategy and commitment for ministry. The strategy went like this, to preach, teach, and come alongside of others with the full counsel of the word of God. It's not much of a strategy, really. It's simply a commitment, and a commitment again and again in preaching, in teaching, in walking with others, to simply make an open statement of the full counsel of God, a statement of the truth, nothing diluted, nothing tampered with, just the good news of Jesus, commended to the conscience of men and women in the sight of God. I could have worded the commitment far more like Paul's own words, to minister the gospel by an open statement of the truth. This is our ministry. This is what it means to be partners together in the gospel. Do you have a statement, a commitment, a strategy for mission? What is your strategy for gospel proclamation? What is the means by which you administer the gospel to a neighbor, to a friend, or to a family member? It must be by the open statement of the truth. This is the gospel that we proclaim by the mercy of God. Continue with me. Verse 4. In their case, continuing to speak of the one who is, for whom the gospel is veiled, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing, and this is a beautiful statement in a very difficult sentence, from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image 
of God. We'll get to that beautiful part in a moment, but for now, the verse opens with the reality of an enemy of the gospel. This is true. This is real. The God of this world, that is the one to whom so many in this world look for salvation and for the satisfaction of their desires. Satan, he's blinded whole nations and generations, blinded with distractions, false religions, pursuits of vain desires and appetites. Let us confess that when we are enamored with the ways and pursuits of the world, we are simultaneously blinded to the ways and pursuit of God. What, what, is, the, what is the strategy of Satan? It's so simple. The open statement of desire for the world. The open declaration that one can be satisfied in this life apart from our God. Simple, open, follow your desires is to be blinded to the external invasive light of the glory of God that alone satisfies. And so Satan is the God of this world. The world may not know it. They may not believe that they're they're pursuing Satan when they're pursuing power and riches and approval and comfort and control, but they are actually pursuing the blinding ways of the father of lies, and he is their God. When we follow the ways of this world, we're following the way of Satan, and we persist in the blindness to the ways of of God. This is the greatest evil of Satan to keep those who are lost in darkness blinded to the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And so to continue to pursue the things of this world as if there were ever any hope, any joy, any glory, any light to be found in them. This is the way of idolatry. Idolatry makes a great promise and says, simply sacrifice to me. If you'll simply sacrifice your life to the pursuit of your career or your education or or your relationships, your friendships, your children, your families, all of these things can be beautiful and good things. But if you will sacrifice your life to them, in them you can find your hope and joy. And when it doesn't work that well, it says, oh, 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 you didn't try hard enough. You must give more. And we continue to give and we continue to give and the idol lies. We are blinded to the truth. Really, it's religion to sacrifice and give and to worship in hope of joy and salvation? Isn't that a religious behavior that we make great contribution toward, but the reality of the gospel is Jesus has provided all of these things, not at the end of our labor, but as the means, the means is his gift to be received by grace through faith. That is why the end of the sentence is so beautiful. What Satan is blinding us to in all of our labors to pursue these hopes and joys, what he's blinded us to is the light of the good news of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It's essential and beautiful for us to see the essential message of the gospel. I say this word a lot. I know I say the word gospel. I know I say the word Christ. I know I say the word Jesus a lot, but there is a simple and compelling reason why. That's our light. That is our great light. He is the image of God. 
His gospel is the glory that we have seen, and there is no other. What else should I talk about? What else should we encourage one another with than the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? The gospel has many implications, implications for the workplace, implications for the classroom, implications for men and women and marriage and family, dating, implications for finances and education, implications for our emotions, our struggles with depression, suffering, sickness, implications for all of these things. But none of those implications are the gospel itself. We don't preach a better way to work. We don't preach a better marriage or relationship with your children. We don't preach how to better manage your finances with biblical principles. We don't preach how to have a better life in difficult times. We preach the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. For apart from that light, we have no message. And then, and then the light shines in every nook and cranny of our lives, every single place already mentioned. In light of the gospel, how might God be glorified in the midst of my work or my education? How might God be glorified in the midst of my marriage or my friendships or among my siblings? How might God be glorified in my earning and spending and giving? How might God be glorified in the midst of my suffering in light of the gospel. How might the light of Christ shine in the midst of my life with simplicity, sincerity, in the midst of my suffering and my weakness? Now we come to the climax of our passage, verses 5 and 6. Look at it with me. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. We've sung it together, right? Now we get to read it, reflect on it together. But Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This whole passage, the whole passage of scripture has a singular reality at its heart. The gospel doesn't belong to the gospel minister. That is the essential message of this short section of scripture. The gospel of God does not belong to the gospel minister. The gospel of God belongs to God. We are his servants and servants of his message. This message has been given to us by the mercy of God, to share by an open statement of the truth, because the gospel is God's proclamation of himself. I love verse 6. I love verse 6. It says something that is truly, utterly changing for our understanding of the gospel and our engagement in the proclamation of that gospel. Verse 6 If you look at it with me, it compares God's work in creation with God's work in salvation. Look at it again. For God who said. Now, I love this about the Bible. It does this quite often. It has extra words, unnecessary words. We don't need them to get the point, right? The passage could say just, just as easily, for God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Perfectly viable sentence that communicates a point. God said something, right? 
But when we hear that truth that God has shown in our hearts, what good news. When we hear that truth, Paul wants us to remember something about that God who has shown in our hearts. He says, for God who said, remember this about God when you think about his shining in our hearts. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Now, what's he trying to have us remember about the God who has shown in our hearts? He wants us to remember that he is the creator of all things by means of a simple word. Light. And there was light out of nothing. Darkness didn't labor. Darkness didn't believe. Darkness didn't work or show itself worthy. He simply spoke. and There was light. For the God who said, light in the darkness has shone in our hearts. The very creative power of the one who has made everything has shown the light of God in our hearts. Just like his activity in creation, where God speaks into the darkness. In salvation, God speaks a word. Light into the human heart. This word, the news of the gospel is, the content of the word is, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Where do you see it? Where does it shine the brightest? What is the glory that has been shown into our hearts? Jesus. What can be seen when you look at Jesus? The news is to know Jesus, to know God. So the one who shines the light and the light itself are one and the same. It's fascinating. Who spoke the word light? God did. What is the content of the word that is spoken? Jesus, the face of Jesus Christ. So God is both the one who proclaims the gospel and God is the one who is proclaimed by the gospel. God shines the light and God is the light. We would know nothing of God if God had not revealed himself to us. We were lost in darkness. We were following other desires, other gods, the God of this world to be particular. This has huge implications for mission because we are called to join God in what he proclaims. We who were once lost in darkness now shine the light of the gospel because God has shown in us and he's given this, mercy, this, this ministry by his mercy. Now, if God is both the proclaimer of the gospel and he is the good news of the gospel, the gospel is the proclamation from God about God and to God. The gospel is the proclamation from God into the darkened hearts of men and women. The gospel is the proclamation about the suffering, the rejection, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the proclamation of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to the glory of God and to the glory of Christ. The gospel is the proclamation by God about God for the glory of God. This is why it is not an understatement. It is not an overstatement to say that in our being gospel-centered, we must be God-centered, beginning, middle, and end. 
The gospel belongs to God. It's simply not to belong to the minister of the gospel. Gospel ministry is by the mercy of God, about the mercy of God. Therefore, we must not tamper. We must, not, we must rather see ourselves as servants, ministers by the open statement of the truth. It's, it's miracle. Think about it. It is divine, creative activity of God that you or I could speak openly, clearly, sincerely about Jesus Christ to another human being, lost in darkness just as we once were. And God shines his light in their heart and they believe. Friends, if I was told that like in the beginning he would like make me and then he would make everything else, and he said, why don't you say light and then I'll do it. That'd be cool. I say light. No, there's no power in me saying light. Me saying light just... Is me saying light. There's no creative power. And then God works. Light. Light. This is what we have been invited to. The divine new creation work of our God that we get to say words. And God turns on the light. You see why this is by the mercy of God? The truth is that man left in the darkness is perishing. Light doesn't come from darkness. Knowledge doesn't come from darkness. Good news doesn't come from darkness. The essential part of the news of the gospel. But that's not good news. The good news is that God has shown light into hearts that can only see rebellion. But God has shown the light so that that becomes grace in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Light shines so that we can finally realize we're living in darkness. We don't even see our own darkness unless we see God. We don't realize our sin and our lostness. Apart from God, we just keep on striving, never satisfied. The good news is that God has shown light into our hearts so that we can see his glory We don't only see our sin, we also see the righteousness of God. This is the good news. This is the good news of the gospel, that we can see the light that is in the face of Jesus Christ. If God had not shown himself to us, we would not know his glory. I want to give us a passage of scripture, something to perhaps mark in the margin and reflect upon ourselves. I wonder if Paul is reflecting on this himself Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 3, he says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you. Who will cast out the darkness? The Lord. And the nations shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. The light of Christ has risen The light of Christ has shone. So the ministry of the gospel is to shine that light among the peoples and the nations. The gospel is God's new act of creation by means of his divine creative word. The goal is in first creation is the goal of God also in salvation. 
God's goal in creation was to create a people for himself, in his own image, to worship him and take joy in him and his glory. We were created to show the glory of God and to enjoy him forever. God's goal in salvation is the same, to create a people saved to the glory of God, to enjoy God and glorify him forever. Now there's an implication for us of the gospel for our mission as a church as we close. At the beginning of this chapter, Paul shows his confidence in the power of the gospel. He says he preaches the gospel by the open statement of the truth. Think about it. Preaching the gospel seems like an impossible mission. Paul's following after Christ into the mission, the mission of bringing good news to a people who are veiled by sin. It's not just an impossible mission in theory. Paul and his fellow partners in the gospel have suffered much in the proclamation of the gospel. It feels like suffering and failure, and yet he doesn't lose hope. Why? In the difficulty of the mission, he does not turn to pragmatic practices or cunning. Neither does his message experience tampering to make it more acceptable. But he continues by the open statement of the truth. How can he proceed with that confidence? How might you and I enter into that kind of confidence? Because the gospel he proclaims is not his gospel. The gospel is the proclamation of God. Paul bears witness to the God who spoke into the darkness light. Proclaiming the gospel might seem like an impossible task for us. But so is creation. Impossible, apart from God's speaking and power and light. Paul's proclamation is of the power of God to speak into the hearts of men and women, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I love that chain of words. The proclamation of the gospel comes with all power and authority of the God of creation to work new creation in formerly darkened hearts. In the midst of the proclamation of the word, light shines, new creation, new life is called into being. Now, Paul doesn't proclaim this idea. He doesn't proclaim his wisdom or his invention. Paul proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord. He's simply repeating what God has said. I remember years ago, I was considering gospel ministry in terms of the preaching of the word. I was considering entering into this full-time vocation and had some encouragement around me. But I remember thinking, I'm just not that creative. I'm not a good storyteller. I, I don't, I'm not good at telling jokes. And at that time, pretty much all the pastors that I had been around began all of their sermons with jokes. And I'm just not good at that. I'm not creative. I can't come up with new things to say all the time. And then it hit me. It hit me by grace. What if there was no new thing to say? What if we are not the ones who are creative, but the Lord is? What if we don't proclaim our light or our ideas or anything funny to tamper with the glorious light? Of the gospel? What if it's simply the open statement of the truth to hearts that formerly in darkness 
are impressed not with me. Because I'm not impressive. But with the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So this morning I call you to hear the word. And to respond, first of all, with belief in Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross, and his forgiveness of sin. I call you, who walk in darkness, to hear the light of Christ, to confess your sins and believe in him for your salvation. And then I call every one of you who have believed to reaffirm your commitment to today to partnership in that gospel service, ministry, servants of the gospel of Jesus Christ to confess that we have this ministry by the mercy of God and so we don't lose hope. We're going to do it again. Oh, but it's so exhausting and it just don't feel like it ever works. You don't work. Don't lose hope. He's God. He will work. So by the open statement of the truth to our hearts, our households, and our community, we wait for the miraculous power of the light of Christ to shine in our hearts, in our households, and in our communities. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this ministry. We confess this morning as much as it feels like suffering at times, as much as we can become disillusioned and exhausted We confess that it's by your mercy that we have this gospel ministry and it is by your mercy that it would ever be effective in the lives to whom we invest, we proclaim and we point, we make open statements. I pray that you would show us practically and functionally what this looks like, that you would allow us to have conversations in community groups, that we would be prayerful that Even as we say these words, we would beg the Lord God to shine his light into human hearts, including our own. And Lord, that you would show us how we can walk in this ministry together as partners in this gospel that doesn't belong to us, but has belongs to our God and has been given to us as a ministry, a service. Thank you, Lord. Make our jealousy. Make our jealousy that we believe that you are worthy of glory in the hearts of men and women around us. And so we would plead with them to give glory to God. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your great, glorious, creative, light-giving name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.